0: Hey, you're listening to Corrupting the Youth, Liturgy is a Way of Life, with Father Matt Bolter, David Beadle, Ian Hyde, and Jason Eslicker, where we talk about theology and philosophy around the kitchen table. Hope you enjoy. I don't
1: know how this discussion is going to go today, but if, but uh, I'm just happy that we are Thanks, having a podcast episode dedicated to Pierre Hadot. I usually pronounce the H. Mm-hmm. What although most like real scholars probably say Addo. Uh but, but let, let me start it out this way like if I were to ask you what do you think of when you think of philosophy or let, let me put it let me be even more pointed um, when you think of a typical when you think of a philosopher what do you think of how does a philosopher whatever that is how does that person spend his or her time in your imagination? What do you think? What does a, a normal philosopher or a typical philosopher do?
0: Oh, like a contemporary philosopher?
1: Sure, I mean, yeah.
2: Preparing papers. Think tank, armchair.
3: Reading, book reviews. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, trying to get published. Okay, good. Now. Pierre Hadot is wanting to say that actually that's not at all the way a true philosopher spends his or her time. Um, as you already know, because you've already read this, um, Hadot is saying that, that what a philosopher does is not at all theoretical, not at all abstract. Ergo, the title of the book, Philosophy as a Way of Life, and there's lots of great chapters and sections in this book. Um, by the way, the subtitle is Spiritual Exercises from Socrates to Foucault. This chapter, chapter three, Spiritual Exercises, is very good. And um, yeah, I just thought we would talk about it a little bit. I wanted to read, or maybe get a volunteer to read, this first blurb, this first little quote on page, on the first page, page 81. Um, Bizarrely, it's from a modern person named George Friedman. But I think it's a good little little few lines. Could I get... Would one of y'all like to read that? Yeah, sure.
0: Cool. (coughs) To take flight every day, at least for a moment, which may be brief, as long as it is intense. A spiritual exercise every day, either alone or in the company of someone who also wishes to better himself. Spiritual Exercises. Step out of duration. Try to get rid of your own passions, vanities, and the itch for talk about your own name, which sometimes burns you like a chronic disease. Avoid backbiting. Get rid of pity and hatred. Love all free human beings. Become eternal by transcending yourself. This work on yourself is necessary, this ambition justified. Lots of people let themselves be wholly absorbed by militant politics and the preparation for social revolution. Rare, much more rare, are they who, in order to prepare for the revolution, are willing to make themselves worthy of it.
1: Nice. Thank you for reading that. Um, Any thoughts on that? Did anyone appreciate those lines? Anyone want to say anything about it?
0: Yeah, I like that he's saying, get rid of your own passions or vanities talking about your own name, which burns you like a disease. I appreciate that part, avoiding backbiting, getting rid of hatred and pity.
1: Yeah, and I mean, one way to start off the discussion is, is that the kind of lifestyle that you think of a philosopher engaging in? Probably not. Not typically. Yeah. But when you look at the way that philosophy was practiced in the ancient world, Mm. perhaps we could say beginning with Socrates and up through certainly up through what we're going to discuss today, which is the the peripatetic schools, particularly of Stoicism and and a little bit Epicureanism. This is very descriptive of 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 their lifestyle. Mm. Um, Yeah you know the passage is not a be-all and end-all it's just kind of a it's a taste of the sort of thing that hado is wanting this wanting to introduce to us in this chapter Mm
3: -hmm. cool
1: it it seems to me and this chapter is about spiritual exercises um i wanted to read and there's four four sections in this chapter learning to live learning to dialogue is that right Mm-hmm. Learning to what? What's the third one?
2: Read. Or learning Learn to, to die, die. Learning to die learning
1: to and learning to read. And so, yeah, thinking about that first section, learning to live. It's very interesting. Don't we already know how to live? Well, Socrates might say no. <laughs> no normal. The, the ordinary rank and file person that Socrates encountered on the streets of Athens, I think Socrates would be willing to say, actually, they don't know how to live. What's interesting is, if you were to ask Socrates, does he know how to live, what do you think you'd say? <laughs> <laughs> that is the question. He would probably say, the only thing I know is that I don't know anything at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he would say, why don't you hang out with me for a few days and then you can tell me if you think I know how to live. Right. right. But I don't think that Socrates would say, oh, I know how to live, but all of these <laughs> other idiots, they, they're completely clueless. I don't think he would say that. I don't either. I mean, I think that Socrates... And and Hedo points out that when he talks about Socrates, he's talking about a literary figure and not so much a historical person. He does believe in a historical Socrates, but we just don't have access to that person that's unmediated by the writings of Plato and Aristophanes and one other person whose name I can't remember right now. He
2: wrote now. the Peloponnesian War documents.
1: Thucydides. Yeah. But I don't think he wrote about Socrates. I thought Socrates wrote. I could be no, wrong. I could be wrong. True. Um, anyway, yeah, so Hado's talking about a figure, and, and he was very concerned about how one lives. So I wanted to read this first paragraph at the bottom of 82, if, if you don't mind. It says, spiritual exercises can best be observed in the context of Hellenistic and Roman schools of philosophy. The Stoics, for example, declared explicitly that philosophy for them was an exercise. In their view, philosophy did not consist of teaching an abstract theory, much less in the exegesis of texts, but rather in the art of living. It is a concrete attitude and determinate lifestyle which engages the whole of existence. The philosophical act is not situated merely on the cognitive level but on that of the self and of being. It is a progress which causes us to be more fully and makes us better. It is a conversion which turns our entire life upside down, changing the life of the person who goes through it. It raises the individual from an inauthentic condition of life, darkened by unconsciousness and harassed by worry, to an authentic state of life in which he attains self-consciousness An exact vision of the world inner peace and freedom Mm -hmm. and there's a couple things that i wanted to bring out in this paragraph let me let me say though before i begin i mean the the four of us are all christians and so i think that at every point along this discussion uh and by the way this is i would this is really the first non-christian text we've discussed in our podcast series so far and i think that's great um but so the question might arise, well, like, how should we think of this as Christians? Like, this, there might be some cool stuff in here, but um, it's, it, like, it's not talking about Jesus or the Holy Spirit or anything like that. And I think that that's a good point. The way that I think about all of this is that there's great wisdom um, in this material. And I love what Jason S. Lickers said last time, I think, about how for de it's not just the old covenant that's fulfilled in Christ, but it's actually ancient pagan reli- religions. I mean, did I did I articulate that correctly? You have a state of okay, deal excellent. Nine. Did I did I say that? Did <laughs> yeah. I say that well? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, so so the way that I think about this stuff is, it's incomplete. It it needs to be baptized and fulfilled mm-hmm. by Christian thought, but you know, it's still chock full of wisdom.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so one of the things that I wanted to bring out in that first paragraph was this phrase determinate lifestyle. Um, What Hedoah is saying is that for the Stoics, for them, if if you were to talk to them about the the lifestyle that that, that a philosopher should live, it's specific, it's determinate. They had a specific thing in mind. It wasn't just like, oh, I'll get up today and see what happens.
2: (laughs)
3: Everything that you've said so far reminds me, and I, you know, I could be jumping ahead and saying this, but it reminds me of the monastic tradition.
1: And Hado is going to get into that. Okay. Well, and I haven't read the text. And, and that's, that might be the historical, the best historical example of how the gospel has baptized this mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Hado is all about that. Okay. That's right. Okay. That's right. But you know, I'm not a monk. Right. I'm a married man Um, that's true for at least three of us and so I don't know to me I I remember when I read this 12 or 13 years ago and it really just blew me away oh my gosh compared to what he's describing my lifestyle is completely like lackadaisical Mm -hmm. and amorphous and Random almost you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So so that phrase determinate lifestyle. I Find very interesting. Yeah another thing that I find interesting about this paragraph is He's talking about The engagement of all of the soul Uh, He's talking about the engagement of the whole person and not simply the intellect Mm. and I think that's super important because of what he is going to say specifically about the passions. A lot of what's going on in these ancient schools of Stoicism and Epicureanism have to do with learning to get a grip on and live healthily with our passions or given the fact that we are always experiencing passions in our lives and in our bodies and in our souls. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that 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 paragraph um suggests it seems to me is that the whole soul is involved Mm -hmm. if you were to go to a typical philosophy professor at a university i'm pretty sure that they're not going to be approaching philosophy in that way
3: it would be merely intellectual activity or Mm -hmm. rational activity Mm -hmm. so for hado what is it and again this is someone who hasn't read the text what is it about the passions is is his view on this that that it is the goal of philosophy to train or to discipline the
1: passions or i i think i think that that is the goal that that is what he's saying and 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 when you read the nicomachean ethics aristotle is very much saying use reason to to do that okay but haddo is not saying simply use reason to do that he's saying do these practices Mm. He, he's saying that the Stoics would, would say if you do these exercises, it will help to bring those unwieldy passions into order.
3: Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, he even thought he even calls it um, philosophy, he calls a therapeutic of the passions. That's right.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a treatment, and, and that's the language that these ancients themselves used. Thera- therapeutics, healing. It's
0: interesting because the it, when it's said that way it's that it's like the context in which philosophy arises is the everyday context of fleeting and vain passions. That's right. You know? Which is deeply human. That's right. You know mm. I think that that, that is not, not you, you talk about modern <clears throat> philosophy and maybe the way we view philosophy. Yeah. It almost has nothing to do with correcting or 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 healing the passions. Right. You know? it's not therapeutic. Mm-mm. That's that's one of the things that's striking to me, especially that's since striking. this is not a Christian text, specifically. Mm-hmm. Specifically Christian text. Because you know I had quest- I have questions every time he talks about attaining self-consciousness and inner peace and freedom. Yeah. Like I am I'm, I'm with I'm trying not to roll my eyes. Yeah, good. Be honest. I want to talk right. about that. Yeah, yeah, good. But when he talks about um, therapy, and he talks about healing, mm-hmm. when he talks about um, this movement mm-hmm. from something to another thing it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not completely neutral mm-hmm. you know um, it's very visceral and it's very real and it's very uh, Christian in a sense. Yeah.
3: And we can relate that to Christian understanding of sanctification or purification right. or even yeah. salvation in
1: general. Yeah absolutely Yeah Ian what are your thoughts at the moment
2: <clears throat> don't really have very many.
1: Yeah. Okay. I
2: I thought it came down a little bit harder on the passions um than maybe like you use the phrase and then to go to live life alongside the passions. Um I thought it came a little bit have with a heavy hand on the passions mm. more than just trying to live alongside them mm-hmm. to have victory over them and I saw it just maybe in a little more of a negative
3: light, but besides yeah. that, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, cool. You you might be right about that. Yeah, um, I agree.
3: But so so from your view, would he be condemning the passions, or say more about that? Um, I I mean I think that there's
2: something inherently misdirected about the passions um, for him, and I, I think. My, my first idea of thinking about the passions is that the desire itself is good. It, it, it may be misdirected, but first let me say that it's good. Right. You know what I mean? I, I think we right. skip the first step that to desire anything is to seek fulfillment that is ultimately found in the divine. It seems like that <laughs> desire itself didn't really matter as much as it's misdirected. It needs therapy, it needs healing, which I think is a nicer way of saying that. Um, but I saw it as something that was, um, yeah, that was inherently wrong, that was inherently misguided and hmm. needed to be warred against for, yeah. for victory of over the soul. So of for
3: the H- soul. Hedo, there's not a more basic passion for, let's just say, God or the good, right? But for him, passions need to be I mean, o- overrun by, I mean, I'm sorry. But, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to understand what you're saying.
2: Okay. Well, then. So, are you
3: you saying that Hutto basically
0: has no positive construal of desire? If he
2: does, I didn't get the impression. That he does. Yes,
0: and that I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, Although you could probably say, the the kind of fundamental desire that's driving all of these spiritual exercises to fix the problem. To fix the problem. Assumes that it is
1: important. Yeah.
0: Sure. Okay. Um, But also, I mean. This entire chapter is really about a method
1: yeah Hmm. you know that's right and the method is is even more important than the content yeah in some ways yeah which he explicitly says within the dialectic yeah yeah Socratic dialogue Mm -hmm. um yeah so first off I think what Hado is attempting to do is to describe how the Stoics let's leave the Epicureans out of it for a moment the Stoics Thought about the passion, so it's not necessarily even Hadot's view; it's the Stoics' view, sure. according to Hadot. Sure. And then, secondly, though, I do think that what y'all are saying is definitely consistent with the stereotype that many people have about the Stoics. But it, but if but let's why don't we dive right into this section, learning to live a little deeper? I'm going to talk about this word prosoké. Attention. Yeah, because I think that if if we can delve into what Hédo is saying about the Stoic approach to prosoké. That'll shed light on what, he, what they're saying about desire. Um, where does that word pop up?
0: On page 84.
1: Cool. About halfway and, down. And we're skipping a lot. Like, I wanted to... You know what? I, 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 do, I need to back up a little bit before we get to prosecute and talk about page 83. Because he says... Um, this is in the, the second to the last full paragraph, we have here a complete, do you all see that? Page 83, the second to the last complete paragraph. Mm -hmm. We have here a complete reversal of our usual way of of looking at things. And keep in mind, imagine Socrates walking down the streets of Athens, and he's encountering ordinary people, merchants, shoemakers... People like that, people who are very much in the ordinary day-to-day life. These are people who are trying to put bread on the table, they're trying to support their families, They're, they're caught up in the normal ordinary cares and concerns of this world. But here we have a complete reversal of that, a reversal of our ordinary usual way of looking at things. We are to switch from our human vision of reality in which, and this is what I wanted to point out, in which our values depend on our passions. Like you could bracket that phrase in which our values depend on our passions, our natural vision of things, which replaces an event within the perspective of universal nature. Okay. And I was sitting there when I first read this, I was sitting there going, okay, how do, 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 do a person's values depend on their passions? Am I making sense? Like, I, 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 I wasn't really able to wrap my mind around that, but, but, but I wrote this. Let's say that I'm a 35-year-old bachelor, and I have a really lucrative job. Let's say on Wall Street in New York City. It's quite common for people like that to assess their value, their self-worth, the value of their life, on external factors such as the price tag of my sports car, the hotness of my girlfriend, etc., 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 What's going on here? These external factors or objects, it's clear that they depend on desire, right? Mm-hmm. You desire a sports car, yeah. you desire certain things that go along with females, mm-hmm. you desire reputation, you desire all these things. So here you can see, so so I think that's what Hado's talking about. It's so easy. For, for me or for you to place my value, to assign my value, based on these external objects, but these external objects depend on my desire. Mm-hmm. My need for a Ferrari depends on a certain desire. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe, Joe Blow's need for a hot girlfriend depends on his desire.
2: But that's also kind of making the point that your desires are a slave to ideology and I think like the certain examples that you're pulling up are obviously derogatory. Yes. Like in all of our minds. Yes. Hot girlfriend. Yes. Ferrari, all of these things. True. Is there not another culture in which we could talk about certain things like my passions and my desires being for said external objects and we wouldn't have to use such derogatory terms like Ferrari or hot girlfriend?
1: Sure. Is that just like, what we use
2: right now in this context?
1: Yeah. So it's name not name something. Way of
2: talking about this that could be possibly positive.
1: You know, I think that cars are good and girlfriends are good. I think that beer is good. I think pizza is good. Mm-hmm. But our, but 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 the Stoics they have a baseline assumption that our that our desires are disordered. Mm-hmm. That, that 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 our default mode as human beings is that our desires are out of whack.
2: So I'm just saying, like, it's, let's just pre- replace a phrase instead of. <clears throat> Uh, my passion, let's see, uh, my values are influenced by my passions. One of my values is instead of for big-paying job, it's for my child to go to college or for food on the table for my yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Does this stand really then?
1: Good question. question. I mean, what do you think?
2: I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think maybe I just have more of a affinity with this idea of values depending on passions and that being something that i'm, I'm comfortable with yeah in a way and something that i think is, is very good and maybe it's because i'm a
1: passion driven person um, but i also want yep. to know more about what the other option is good and i think that's where prosecute comes in actually yeah. cool but but i do think like if if i i i think that if i want my kids to go to a good college I think that that can be idolatrous um, especially sure. especially if if my identity's wrapped up into it mm-hmm. so if my daughter goes to T- TJC I mm-hmm. feel like a loser
2: and so this notion of values depending on our passions are are just like ego driven things that we're assigning value to they're not something that could possibly be different than that is is that what is that what the Stoics are saying?
1: I think so. These yeah, passions so. are
2: ego driven.
1: Can we also define? I think so. It? Okay. I think so. Cool.
2: Yeah. Then what I said wasn't relevant. I, oh. I just don't. You know what I mean? I don't know enough about the Stoics.
1: Yeah. They're probably I mean, not. Well, so consulting I, the problem I just raised because I don't know the language. I. I, I but I. Yeah. They'd probably give you a high five. Just like I think Plato and Aristotle would give you a high five because both Plato and Aristotle. Would, would say that desire, by its very nature, is good.
2: Mm-hmm. But I have a desire for an end within itself, you know, and not simply something that's mean to another end, like my kid going to college, for him to have a successful job as well.
1: Well, so we would ask, we, we need to ask, what sorts of things are desires for true ends? Mm-hmm.
2: I think things related to beauty.
1: I think that this I think I don't I'm not an expert here, but I, I think that the Stoics would probably agree with Plato and Aristotle on all that cool. Yeah. But the problem is that yes, our desires tend to be ego driven. Yeah. And And they tend to be unwieldy. Yeah. And this causes people to be miserable. I think that they would say I think that they would say most people are worried about the future. Most people feel guilty about the past. And those are things that are not in our control. And so then, yeah. And, and then Hado talks about, well, what things are in our control? And the stoic answer to that is only that which depends on our freedom. We probably don't have time to get into that right now. I would love to delve into proscikay, but did did you want to say something?
0: I just th- I, I think that maybe some of the confusion for all of us is coming from from the question of desire mm-hmm. and maybe it's it'd be beneficial to talk about how uh, certain desires come from different parts of the soul and that that's maybe a different definition of, of desire like when they're talking about passions they're probably not talking about the desire for god you know? they're definitely not right they're talking about the those desires that are that are fleeting and fading and and even not not even that they're just harmful it's not that they're harmful it's that they're not ultimate and our values maybe being subject to those is
1: well, isn't helpful. I like, I like what you said about their, not being, about their not being ultimate. And I think that that's a Christian sentiment that you just expressed. That what the Stoics would say though, it's, they wouldn't say that they're not ultimate. They would say we don't have any control over them. What the Stoics are actually saying is there's, there's two things that are, that are real. There's things that depend on my freedom and there's other things that are part of nature that depend on necessity. Interesting. And and we cannot control the things that are in nature that, that, that depend on necessity. All I can control is things that are based on my freedom. That's what they're saying. Weird. I think that that is not totally anti-Christian, but it's also different than what you just said. So, um, let's see um, have y'all ever heard of Viktor Frankl he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. and so like Viktor Frankl and he wrote that book reflecting on his experience in the concentration camps in, not, in, in Germany in Nazi Germany what the Stoic would say is Viktor Frankl couldn't control whether or not he was thrown in a concentration camp he couldn't control whether or not his wife was like tortured All he could control is his response to those things. And so so the goal of learning to bring our passions under control is for it to become more obvious what I'm in control of and what's outside of my control. It's kind of like the serenity prayer if you've ever heard of that. God grant me the strength. God, God, I wonder if anyone could Google it. I'm not online. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's right. Yeah, and so what the Stoic is saying, there's all sorts of things that I'm just not in control of. And so it's useless for me to worry about those things.
2: And those things that we're not in control of are are labeled what, the passions? Or is it the, the response to the things that I'm not in control of? If it's a worry or it's an anxiety about those things that's the passions
1: that's a good question I think and 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 I, I could if, if I could take five minutes and look read the text a little bit I could probably come up with a, a better grounded answer yeah but no I think that the point and I could be wrong is that let's say I want a Ferrari real bad I actually can't control that like my, I can't, I can't control what I, I can't getting one or you're
2: wanting one.
1: Getting one. Okay. Getting one. I could die on the way to the Ferrari dealership. Um, maybe I'll buy it and then I'll have a wreck ten minutes later. Or maybe I'll get in a car wreck and it'll be repossessed. Like I don't have a desire to. Uh, I'm not in control of getting it. I'm not in control of keeping it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I'm in control of is my my desire for it. And my response to having one or not having one Mm -hmm. from a Christian point of view. My self worth should come not from external things like cars or retirement accounts or popularity or hits on YouTube, right? It should come from Christ, but I, I think that there's wisdom here. Um, in recognizing that those external things do depend on my desire. And so the, the the goal of the stoic is to rid myself of those desires. I think for those things. Let, let's get let's go into prosecute. And, and I think that it'll become you'll, you'll see a little bit more how this works.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and I'm looking at, at the paragraph that begins with the word attention on page 84.
2: Attention is the fundamental stoic spiritual attitude. It is a continuous vigilance and presence of mind, self-consciousness, which never sleeps, and a, con- a constant tension of the spirit. Thanks to this attitude, the philosopher, philosopher is fully aware of what he does at each instant, and he wills his actions fully. Thanks to his spiritual vigilance, the Stoic has at hand the fundamental rule of life—that is, the
1: distinction between what depends on us and what does not. Cool. And this word, prosecute, attention, is one. It is one of a, of a series of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight elements that Hado lays out in the paragraph right above it and this list of elements in the in the paragraph above I'm going to read the list real quick research thorough investigation reading listening attention self-mastery and indifference to indifferent things but then there's a couple of other things like meditations therapies of the passions remembrance of good things and self-mastery I'm a little confused about that what Hedo is doing is he's saying, okay, there's this list, but let's focus on prosecate attention. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, what, what, what is that? What do you think attention is?
0: Well, first of all, what he says immediately is that it is a continuous vigilance and presence of mind, self-consciousness which never sleeps, and a constant tension of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an awareness, mm-hmm. and I think that the best way to talk about attention is to say it's being fully present, and it's even a prioritization or a preference for the moment mm-hmm. uh, over and against the past and the future. That's right. It's a, it's a, it's a. That's right. know, it's a preference for the moment, for the now, and uh, that plays into. I think maybe that even defines. Mostly what they're talking about when it comes to what you can control and what you can't that's right Because what you what you can control is the moment and the reason that you can control the moment is because it says um, In its exiguity." yep, where are you yep? Top of 85 85. yeah, because in its exiguity, it is always bearable and controllable, that's right and and that that is really i mean that is awesome that's awesome because it i mean it, it doesn't take but like a moment of self-reflection to realize that it's the past and the future that weigh the most heavily on anyone but he's saying because the present is so um i guess small yeah or almost like insignificant in a way like in comparison to like the past which is just this insurmountable that's mountain right. and this future which is an even greater insurmountable hopefully. mountain. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, the present is so easy to manage compared to that. And for that reason it's what we should we should focus on. I think that's what he means by attention.
2: Seems so impossible well and that's it's why with, that's why I'm we need unfolding right now as i'm saying sentences to you yeah like yeah I, I i don't that is so beyond well i one, have no idea i mean i i, I get right. that i've read enough eastern philosophy maybe in some ways to say yeah, it sounds really cool and it's uncomfortable you know in some ways but that's where i want to be is in the moment but once i'm in I'm thinking about being in the moment i've lost the moment you know all those mm. things but yeah I just don't get it. I've never understood Are you intrigued it. by it at all? I think it's interesting. I just... I, It seems so impossible to my small little brain to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. a the normal way in which I live my life, which is not to say this is wrong. Sure. That's to say my experience.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could say, like... Like, you could say, okay, that's impossible because of the, like, utter fleetingness of time, right? Like what you said, we're constantly... Mm-hmm moving when i began this sentence i'm a different person now because time has done its toll on me but and you could say that as, as maybe a like a counterpoint to what they're saying but i also think it's a proof of what they're saying because time is so fleeting because the present moment is so um, evasive that that's what defines its exiguity that's what defines
1: its smallness and yeah and i think also because it's so fleeting one can never be in possession of the present i'm going to call it a point the present point no you can't be in possession of it that's part of the point here all you can do is receive it watch it look for it be attentive to it pray for it it's as if you can't have the past you can't Grab or grasp the past. You can't grasp the future. Well, guess what? You can't grasp the present moment either, but you can receive it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and, and I, yeah, I really appreciate that. I mean, when I, I have like a fourfold response. I mean, like, one thing is talk to me in 10 years. Yeah. Like, like, if you find it intriguing, file it away. Think about it. Look, look, look for other areas of life where this stuff pops up again. Come back to it in a few years and see if maybe you've changed. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing is, yeah, this stuff needs to be baptized by the Christian faith. Yeah. So, like, one thing we could do is look to see if if this kind of thing is in scripture. It's yeah. very interesting. Um, you uttered the phrase because you were reading the paragraph at hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Stoic always has at hand the fundamental rule of life. What's the first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark?
0: The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah. Or the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah.
1: And I didn't have time to look at the Greek to see if it's this prokaron, but I'm sure it is. Um, another, another thing is what about... What about morning prayer. What about the daily office? What about the service of Holy Eucharist? I mean, I think that there's gifts that we've been given because of our tradition that are ready made for us to even take little baby steps. I mean, I know that the Stoics would agree that that we should be concerned with progress, not perfection. Mm. And might it be possible to take a couple of baby steps in the direction of of being aware of the present moment I, I think that that we have things in our liturgy and in our tradition that set us up for that yeah um but yeah i, I, I let me just come back to the, to this notion like this is what the, what had says was typical of philosophy in the ancient world and that's really cool (laughs) it's a way of life and and i'm not like raising an objection to say this stuff sounds like
2: bullshit sure i'm just saying tell me about it you're being honest I i have no idea what you're even describing yeah honestly i think it's sounds cool yeah there's a couple paradoxes we could throw around totally there's a lot of people who could speak to those think it's awesome but zero clue what you're talking
0: about. Well and we can talk about too what we've talked about before with the kind of the like deconstructionist critique of presence. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's really important. Because if we're if we're to kind of draw an analogy where for Derrida or anyone you know whoever influenced him, whether it's you know, Nietzsche or Heidegger, whoever, for Derrida where there's this uh, assumption or arrogant assumption in modernity of presence, presence that last, you know, presence that's capturable and obtainable, and manipulable, controllable, etc. stockpile et stockpilable, Stockpilable, yeah. Um, for further study, for further, you know, investigation. Um, if that's truly impossible, which is which is Derrida's claim and which is, which is good claim. Yeah. Maybe we can Peg draw... Pigstock's claim, claim as well. Pigstock's claim as well. So we can draw an analogy here where the past and the way that we should live is not livable or the future is not livable. The only thing that's livable or doable is what's in the present. The now. Yeah.
1: Agu- uh, Augustine calls it the eternal now. And... He, and some, some New Testament scholars would say that Paul thinks of it as the eschatological now. And we need to, you know, we have to think of
0: Christian memory here. Um, do this in remembrance of me. History is obviously um, not, a, not an optional in Christian theology. Right. And it shouldn't be. No. Um, so there, we do have to say, okay, the now is all that we can do. How do we do Christianity? How do we remember?
1: Yeah, Christ. You know. Well, I love thing about like re r e hyphen member. Mm-hmm. What we're doing in the Eucharist is putting mm-hmm. the members back together. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not demembering Christ. Mm-hmm. We're remembering Christ. Yeah, and that's a present thing. Huh. We're bringing the past into the present, mm-hmm. and we're bringing the future into the present. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, yeah,
0: that's really good. And we, that is really good. Yeah,
1: and that's that. That's it, actually the Holy Spirit's job. That's why Calvin's pneumato- pneumatological Eucharistic theology is so badass. That's
0: awesome. Well, and that's why we we can talk about now non-identical repetition with Catherine Pickstock or something where, yeah, we, we are repeating. Which, by the way, these exercises are determinate, and so they're being repeated. Mm-hmm totally like so you're holding what could be a paradox on the one hand you have these determinate spiritual exercises right that are like like you could literally put them on a list and put them on the wall yeah right there's literally axioms
1: yeah there are that can be that can be like a this is a a group a list of Christian axioms
2: right to remind oneself of exactly
1: yeah and and why is the Christian church not like that yeah I have zero objection to any of this,
2: except for just like anger (laughs) at myself, you know? Yeah. Well, good. This is just, does it feel like law to you? It seems like total bullshit though. When I, but when I start thinking about Christianity, I know it's not, but it's just, yeah, maybe I'm just a slave to, to worry and to anxiety to where it's like my visceral feeling is to say, I have no idea what this is. This sounds dumb, you Mm -hmm. know? It sounds like some For banal him. platitude that some guy I found in a park hugging a tree told me. No, <laughs> well, like, show me your life, you know? But th- that's the thing, it's like yeah, my life does not look this way. Well, and I'm really interested These if, people are not idiots.
1: And no, I, I, I agree. I mean Socrates is not an idiot. I, my my
2: theoretical know? thing is, isn't an issue. It's 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 my it's the pragmatics of this. Yeah. Yeah, because we're, right. we're sitting here theoretically talking about spiritual exercises. Well, <laughs> you know, the daily office
1: uh, isn't a theoretical discussion.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, but what I'm saying is I prayed the daily office today for the first time in a week. So that's also a part of this
1: conversation. Yeah. For me. Amen, brother. Personally.
2: And, Baby and I, I want to change that. And I think this was, this was good and also extremely convicting. And I mm-hmm. reacted against that like in a negative way. This is just bullshit jargon. So,
1: you know, I, I don't. If there's anything that it's not, it's bullshit jargon. No, I, I but understand. it could be law. It could be this feels like a heavy burden that someone's putting on my shoulders, and I can't do it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And yeah. and for that problem, the gospel has an answer. But 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 if that's not your problem, then. I don't want to. No,
2: I I was just talking about a visceral reaction to something that I'm obviously not doing in my life. So, yeah. Well, grace, forgiveness, repentance, no shame. Um,
0: I would like to say something about. Maybe it has to be a gift. It has to be a gift that we ask for. For about what? The aphorisms. Cool. Um, you you talked about. You even held up a book. The sayings of the Desert Fathers, yeah, mm-hmm. which contains sayings, yes,
1: right, which are for, <laughs> right, right. That word appears somewhere in here. Keep going, I'll find it. Which are for repeating on page, um, page eighty-seven. He talks about. He talks about that. Yes, and the word apophtemata occurs on the top of page eighty-six, about five lines down from the first full paragraph. Yeah, cool. Um,
0: well, it's that you know. And he, and he and he speaks of it in ways where, in ways, or in a tone, in which repeating these aphorisms will actually change you. It's it's again part of this spiritual exercises. It's it's on this journey. It's something that will actually affect you, etc. But my 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 complaint, though, obviously, is mm-hmm. that like these. V- Repeating mental axioms mm-hmm. won't do anything. No. This is
2: why you don't go to a Baptist church, right?
0: <laughs> no comment. Uh, <laughs>
2: Forty-five minute sermons. Well, yeah. that's but that's but, the yeah.
0: thing. What what yeah. I what I said was my issue. Yeah. is that aphorisms, whether memorized and repeated, yeah, are not enough to treat the soul unless Amen. they are doxological. Hmm unless we understand language the way Catherine Pickstock understands language as a real participation in the divine and, you know, unless it's a participatory experiential thing, then it won't do anything. And so, that, and that's that's maybe why I came away with even hmm. like tree hugging uh, mm-hmm. critique as well. I was like, you know, hmm. no, yeah, of course he's smart and he's quoting smart people. But the, like, I know, and he says the, constant, the content's not as important as the method, but at the end, I think it's the content that justifies the method. So
1: I went to a 12-step meeting yesterday, and here's some of the maxims that were thrown around. I wrote them down. You are as sick as your secrets. That's one. really good. Here's another one. The gift of desperation. These are just little ditties that always get thrown around in 12-step yeah. meetings. Um, when you drink that way you have to live that way (laughs) um we get a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual condition alcohol lied to me saying quote we're gonna have fun close quote if you do a few simple things on a daily basis the desire goes away that's a verbatim quote from the meeting yesterday (laughs) Um, Finding the next right thing to do. I always wanted to live in the clouds. I never wanted to admit anything. Those are like verbatim quotes that I wrote down from the 12-step meeting yesterday. That's awesome. And I think that's what he's talking about. Are those doxological? I don't think so. I don't think that those are enough. Right. I think that that I don't think that the Bible's enough, but the Bible's a means of grace through which God puts his life into us. I don't think that
0: also, by the way, the liturgy makes the Bible something more than just mm-hmm. aphorisms. Amen. Mm-hmm. Or words on a page. Yeah. The, 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 right. The Bible is prayed. Amen. And prayer is not
1: reciting aphorisms. So, so can can you imagine? But 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 reciting aphorisms can be a kind of prayer, right? Do you agree? That's why it
0: has to be doxological. Okay. Yeah. Totally. So, I so, think. So I should say all of these should be said in a mode of prayer. Love it. Like, like, yeah.
3: yeah. Or the Jesus prayer: "Lord Jesus Christ, and the Living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner." Uh, it's it's
1: yeah. Literally yeah.
2: working my way across the, the weeks, right? And yeah. 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 It's it's like reciting that person yeah yeah. Exactly. I mean isn't
1: all of life can't all of life become prayer yes mm-hmm. so maybe that is then
0: it's a disposition matters oh Awareness. Yeah. yeah and that's what we can talk about that's what we were talking about with Amen. attention this is why attention matters it may determine whether or not you're worshiping
1: yeah mm-hmm. and also I think that like Epictetus is one of these amazing wise Stoics but you know if he didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit flooding in his life, then these aphorisms aren't good enough.
2: So it's that weird paradox between <clears throat> habituation and yet receiving a gift that's beyond you? Yes.
3: Sweet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <That was> great. <laughs>
1: yes. But I guess... I don't know. I, I just find a lot of wisdom here. And... I get discouraged a lot by the modern church because it seems to me like the these schools were schools of virtue. They were bands of brothers who were who 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 were practically wise. They were wise in practical ways. Yeah. Um, Is that how uh, San Jacinto Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas when I was a junior in high school was? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. what about EV Free when I was in college I don't think so what about Christ Church in Tyler Texas I don't think so you know so it's just it's just convicting and it's an ongoing struggle but I I, I, I see this example set before me and I'm like please God yeah and you know I don't want to like be a naysayer or anything like that but like I don't want to throw the church under the bus mm-hmm. but I don't know yeah, this is compelling to me. It is. I, it reminds me of James. Yeah,
0: a lot. I mean, speaking of practical wisdom, but even like thinking about right. thinking about memory. So I'm I want to read a couple of verses from James, but think about memory. Think about identity. Um, think about the law, which we talked about in freedom. He says, "Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says." And this is like, Stoic Epictetus would love that. Statement. And this is like NIV. We're not getting fancy. Yeah. Here. Um, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. <laughs> so to me that says without genuine habituation identity it just slips away. Like no, the slippage of language. Yeah. Um, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do.
1: It's crazy. And you, it's know, crazy. you want to look at James and be like, well, like doing those steps, that's not enough, James. Right? It needs to be in a doxological mode, James, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I mean, there it is in black and white. Can we, can, we Good get, stuff. Uh, yeah. can we go
2: back to something really quick? Um, because I feel like we hit on um, one part of this sentence very hard, and, and it was awesome, um, but I don't think that we hit on the other part at all. Um, and it is this section. Uh, we have a complete reversal of our usual way of looking at things. We are to switch from a hu- human vision of reality In which our values depend on our passions. We talked about that quite a bit. Right. Now, I want to hear your thoughts and David's thoughts and Jason's response to those thoughts um, to this part of the sentence Mm. to a natural vision of things, which replaces Mm. each event within the perspective of universal nature. Yeah. At the bottom of page 84. Yeah. Did you talk about that? The second part of that sentence to a natural vision of things which replaces each event within the perspective of universal nature
1: i can try i think where is it
2: again it's at the very bottom of page uh 83 sorry 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 i'm getting more of what you were saying Uh in the first part of that sentence Uh i think i'm starting to understand more of the stoic view of passions but i yeah. Could you do the same maybe for the natural vision of things instead of the human nature of things. Human vision.
1: Reality. Okay. So here's the first thing I would say. So Hadeau wrote in French. Sure. And do you see that verb replaces? Mm-hmm. What I had to do to, to understand this sentence is to put an X over that word and substitute the word repositions okay so so we need to move from a human view of reality to a natural vision of things which repositions Mm -hmm. repositions each event within the perspective of universal nature now like Sadly, I need to leave in about 10 minutes and I really would like to talk about learning to dialogue and learning to die at the very least. Mm-hmm. But I think that what's going on here, this universal nature that Hado that, that, that is invoking is what I said earlier about how there's certain things that depend up, upon us. That's that which is in the domain of freedom. Mm-hmm. And then there's other things that are in nature that we have no control over. And by the way God is the Christian God is not anywhere in this picture I yeah. freely admit that yeah. so they think that there's that there's two things in the world there's human freedom and then secondly there is fate there's there's a causal chain of necessity that's what they think by the way that is a very respectable view you it, it's even possible to have that view as a Christian and it may be that Thomas Aquinas had that view okay mm hmm So when he says universal nature, that's what he means. He means if you want to understand the whole, the whole of reality, you need to understand that there's there's these two domains. There's that which depends on human freedom, which you can be in control of. And then there's these other things that are like pin like billiard balls that work according to causal necessity and you have no control over them. Mm. That that's what he means. That is not the normal view. The normal view is that, oh, if I try, try really hard, I can get the hot girlfriend. And if I can't get that, I'm gonna be miserable. That's the normal view. That's the human view. That's what we need to move away from. What we need to move toward is this notion that, no, the only thing I can control is my response and my Reception of the present moment and maybe some decisions that I make with my body. Yeah And everything else is outside of my control
2: It's kind of placing yourself within this perspective of contingent finite
1: being maybe the, the perspective of it Yeah, you don't want to be caught in the chain of it. Yeah. Yeah, you in fact You want to step outside the chain yeah. of it, but the only way to do that is to be clear on what it is mm-hmm. Sure, that's right Yeah. Okay Okay, let's talk about section two, learning the dialogue. I wrote down two things. And the first one is this. When it comes to thinking about dialogue, Socrates is the paradigmatic figure. You might say he invented it. That's the first thing. So a lot of this, a lot of Hado, he, he thinks that all of these spiritual exercises really originate with Socrates. What does that mean? It means that Socrates began a tradition in which later people, later figures, later, later people in the tradition were able to build on and continue this way of life that involves spiritual exercises. The second thing that I wrote down is this. The dynamics of how dialogue functions are closely related to that of spiritual exercises. You might say that dialogue, and we're talking about Socratic dialogue, that involves two or more persons who are exchanging views. That's what we mean by dialogue. You might even say that dialogue is a spiritual practice, a spiritual exercise, especially since one can dialogue with oneself. Hmm. And I'd like to throw that out for discussion. Is that true? Do you all agree that that it's possible for... Ian to dialogue with Ian. What do you think about that? <laughs>
0: Maybe. And, and someone
1: <laughs> brought up earlier, I think it was I don't I think it was David that there's all this talk about self consciousness. Yeah. You know, bunch of hooey. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big deal. Can you have a dialogue with yourself? I mean, you. I mean, in one
0: sense, you might say you have to be able to in order to know yourself. Good. Right. Knowing yourself requires there being kind of two fundamental. <laughs> yeah. That, that seems change. to be that's, that's obvious. A, that's yes. A, that's very, yeah. So, that's cool so thing.
1: is it possible? Let me just ask the question: Is it possible to know yourself?
2: Well, actually, can we go back? Inner dialogue must be possible for one. To know oneself yes okay then to what, think what, on what, what was Socrates' life like why why the dialectic why would? why the pursuit of shoemakers and warriors and politicians? Well, it's not only it's not only that okay it's not only that
1: well yeah maybe you could say that in order for Socrates to know himself he had to know himself through the other yeah is that what you're getting at
2: yeah so I remember in the Alcibiades. Which I don't know if it's purely like platonic candidate or not, but I remember reading in the Alcibiades, he was saying that know thyself is kind of like look you won't know thyself is kind of like looking into the mirror of one's eyes and seeing thyself. And this is around the time that we were reading the Phaedrus, and so I kind of took that as like this dialect, like this dialectical giving and receiving of not like pressing beyond the boundary but also receiving somebody else and participating in something that's beyond oneself do you you know what i mean like he says i know thyself by seeing thyself in the eyes of alcibiades so yeah I, i i don't know i think it involves other people to know thyself and the inner dialogue doesn't really prove it to me that
1: let me ask you a question
2: I don't know if I'm making sense. No, you're making complete
1: sense and I think you're on the right track. I would just say your point is even, it goes even deeper than maybe we realize. Okay. Because I would say step number one, you can't know anything without language, Mm -hmm. that's that's a bedrock assumption of mine, Mm -hmm. and therefore you can't know yourself without language. Mm -hmm. How did you learn language? Did it involve other people? Yes or no? Yes. Boom. It's impossible to know yourself without other people. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. Can I read from the text? But,
2: but that, that's, I, that's not what David said. What you just said is not what David I said. I know it's
1: not, but I think you can have it both ways. You can say that other people are required for anyone to know himself and that a human being can have a direct dialogue with oneself Okay. without having another person in the room or on the phone. I just thought it was like, it's
2: impossible for one to know thyself without inner dialogue. No, I think the question
0: was, that's what you said. the question was, is it possible to have inner dialogue? Which means that right. there, has to be, there has to be, in some sense, some distinction between two different elements. Yeah. You have to be able to think on yourself, which means that there's a distinction somehow. It's, I'm not saying it's a hard and fast distinction. I'm just simply making the case that self-consciousness exists. So you have sure. to there has to be at least two elements. So in order to know yourself, there you the, like you're the subject and the object. Right. right. In that mm-hmm. sentence. You know yourself. That's right. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So on the in the book though, he says only he who is capable of a genuine encounter with the other is capable of an authentic encounter with himself. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the converse is equally That's true. That's what
2: I'm getting at. Descartes didn't know himself because he locked himself in a cabin and had an inner dialogue
1: right that's 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 what i thought you were saying uh, <laughs> gotcha 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 yeah well so so one of these spiritual exercises that Hedo talks about which is one that gets picked up by the uh christian monastic tradition beginning with a guy named evagrius of pontus i believe um is the examination of conscience what is the what is an examination of conscience well Let's just keep moral it all
2: inventory.
1: Yes. Yes. Let's just keep it super simple. I mean, w- w- there's plenty of monks that would say that it's really w- in fact, my spiritual director says this, it's very wise when you go to sleep at night, simply to rewind the videotape of your day, ask yourself, what did you do today, and then open your conscience up to. The Holy Spirit convicting you that you know maybe you shouldn't have done this or maybe tomorrow you need to apologize to this person Hmm. because your tone of voice was a little mean or something like that Hmm. Hmm. so so that's an examination of conscience it seems to me that that is a kind of dialogue with self
0: Would that conflict with the past present
1: future distinction good question I don't think so Look, being in the present moment doesn't mean that you never think about the past. Mm-hmm. If it did, then the Eucharist would be incompatible with all of this, mm-hmm. as, as you right. helped me realize a few minutes ago. So I don't think so. I don't think that there's a conflict there.
0: Because what you just explained <clears throat> assumes an ongoing
1: life. Yeah, like ongoing, that's right. It, it, it assumes memory. Right. Yeah, so... Prosokay is one spiritual exercise. It's not the only one. <laughs> Reading is another one. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Listening is another one. Research is one.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I, mean, I, I would research. say I would argue that pros- that there is a priority on prosecate, okay, but that's a completely different topic. Yeah. Yeah. Man, research. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Zetao. Zaytasis. Z- Z- yeah, page 84. Um, you see the word zetasis on the far left in, in yeah. Prince. That's research. So,
0: research requires the past. It does. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, research could also be exclusively. The past is super important. Mm-hmm. But if you're never cultivating an awareness of the present moment then you're missing out on a super fruitful way of gaining liberation from your passions and from the billiard balls of life over which you have no control. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah it's good. Yeah. Now I want to Close with the third section, not learning to live, not learning to dialogue, but learning to die. And I just want to. Anyone want to say anything? I just want to register a quote on page ninety-four in which awesome.
2: Socrates agrees with the point that I've been making for about two years about philosophizing correctly as a training for death.
1: In oh the, yeah, in the <laughs> Fido baby. Have you ever? <laughs> I mean, I haven't
2: read The Fido, but I read The Republic, obviously, correctly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you need to read The Fido. <laughs> did, this whole preparing for know. death thing is a big deal. Are you, what are you going to read? Read it.
2: Uh, no, I, I just already read it. Oh, you did? Uh, that those who go about philosophizing, as they make fun of in the movie, uh, correctly are in training for death.
1: Yeah. just wanted to register that. Oh, it's, what the, it's what the, he makes a big deal of this in The Fido. Yeah. I want to read the first sentence on the top of 94. Socrates' death was the radical event which founded Platonism. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Do you see that second block quote on 94, the one closer to the bottom? The block quote closer to the bottom? Yeah. Yeah. Separating the soul as much as possible from the body and accustoming it to gather itself together from every part of the body and concentrate itself until it is completely independent of the body. And to have its dwelling so far as it can, both now and in the future, alone and by itself, freed from the shackles of the body. That's a quote from the Phaedo. Now that can sound gnostic to Christian ears, yeah, mm-hmm. no but there's also passages in Paul that are almost identical to that. Paul says, "I buffet my body that 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 that, that, that I might make it my slave." Yeah. And there is a time and a place in Christian asceticism, in Christian discipline. Um, for buffeting the body. And it is a, in, in, in Christianity, it is a preparation for death. So then the best
0: way to understand these passions that are in a negative light here would be Paul's conception of the flesh. That's right. Because we also have positive conceptions of the body, i.e., The incarnation the resurrection that's right uh, maybe even the body of christ if we can talk about that yeah but but the negative cases for paul almost always have to do with what he's calling the flesh
1: yes and do you know those greek terms i don't body is soma like psychosomatic illness flesh is sarx and right flesh is not identical to body they are related yeah, Pride, which is completely non-corporeal, is of the flesh,
0: hmm. you right? Could, you could also say pride's a passion.
1: You could, you could. Um, it depends on how you define passion. A lot of people, including people like Jonathan Edwards, explicitly say that passions are bodily things. so that So that when a person is experiencing passions, you can see their eyes dilate. You can feel their palms get sweaty. You can see their face get bloodshot.
2: That definitely can happen. with pride. Watch me get prideful, man! <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> cool, man. Shy.
1: Good. That's a great point. Uh, oh, please! Okay. That's <laughs> all your hey, two shades. Two shades.
2: That's some kind of prideful, David.
1: So maybe even pride <laughs> is. Corporeal. Both of our pupils are so uh, dilated right now. My my palms are sweating. <laughs>
2: yeah, my. F- my fists are clutching for some reason
1: (laughs) I mean I'm just grateful I think you know the church should be a school of virtue it should be it should be friends who are growing together yeah Mm. that's true well that's what we're doing yeah Yeah. and it's by having it a set time every week a set thing to read we're hitting record we're trying to keep it in an hour we're actually putting it online so that like other people can call our bullshit if we're full of bullshit. All of that helps us embody a school of virtue. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I would, yeah, say, yeah, I, I would I say this
0: that actually the over reading really for me justified this podcast hmm. because wow. it's not necessarily that we're setting up a mic and just like uh, shouting a bunch of like. Platitudes, so that other people can become as smart as we are, or it's not an echo chamber. No, it's more of, of it's about the method. You know what we what if we go back and listen to yeah. this podcast in two years, I'm probably going to hate 50 percent of what I said. Yeah, it might or I, I might so. I might look back and say, yeah, that was that was not true. That's not right. But that's the point. It's, that is this, the point. This kind of documents a journey. Amen. You know. And I think that hado That's
1: thats how the youth get corrupted.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's... It should be like a... Like, this might have been the most important you know, document as far as what we're doing. Yeah. Now, as far as the <clears throat> podcast we just recorded, I don't think it was good, if I'm being honest. Yeah. So... There's and that. I don't really
1: care about that.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But, yeah, I can see that.
3: Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you. My only concern... Really was that we were actually putting it online for people to call out our bullshit. Yeah. Now, why is that a concern, and way, not to stroke our ego? The thing about oh. The but you I know, know in the damage oh, made to I me, man, it
1: it's, man, that's awesome. Right. For me, it's not about ego it's at all. It's almost good. It's almost, mm-hmm. good. It's no, almost counter ego. Like, I'm full of if shit. I had an ego, I would good. not put this shit online. Right. I do have an like, ego. It's embarrassing. No, I do have an ego.
2: Matt, it's exonophone. Is that how you say that name? It's not Thucydides. I was wrong. Oh, Xenophon. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that is the person you're thinking of?